Morning. We are in the second message, cover your bulletin, This Is Us series on relationships. Last week we talked about, kind of as the, the opening message, that it begins with us, right? If we want to, uh, what I'm going to argue in these weeks is that, you know, the gospel has completely redefined all relationships in the body of Christ. It's a whole different way of understanding and living before each other, the body called the body of Christ. And how we minister to each other, how we relate to each other. Um, but it has to begin with us. Who you are uh, today in Christ and who you are becoming has the most important uh, thing about the relationships, or the level of relationships that you're going to have. I think I said something like this, that you know, our uh, current relationship with each other, significant relationships with, other, uh, with others, where we struggle, where we are growing is perhaps the best indicator of where we are in our relationship with God. And uh, that's why it's so important for us to um, take a hard look at our relationships. What does the Bible say about them? What can we learn about them and how can we get better? So last week we talked about uh, it begins with us. And this morning we're going to look at where the Apostle Paul starts his topic of relationships with marriage. And it's it's perhaps appropriate this morning of all Sunday mornings. I see Jean and, and Olga Grammatico uh, today, or I think it's today or this weekend, is their 67th wedding anniversary. Let's give them a hand. Yeah. Not too many of those walking around, huh? It's quite an accomplishment. Let me say some sort of ground rules on this, uh, uh, this message this morning. Number one, many of you know, uh, if you don't know, you're new to the church, that I uh, am not married. So you're not going to hear any uh, uh, advice from me this morning, any anecdotes from me this morning, but it's perhaps worth saying that um, Jesus was not married. He had a thing or two to say about marriage, and neither, for that matter, the guy who wrote the verses we'll read in a minute was the Apostle Paul. So it's worth saying maybe you'll learn a thing or two this morning anyway. Second thing I want to say is that this, is not a, um, that this passage um, is the premier or, or, or primary uh, verse on marriage in really all of the, the scriptures. And it is about marriage, but actually it's about more. It's about the context, the context of, of the redefinition of all relationships uh, in the body of Christ. And we'll see that. And what is going to be said here in this short overview that I'll give about the relationships between husbands and wives, the core ideas, the core dynamics, actually can be said of relationships throughout the body of Christ. What's true of them is true of all of us. Second thing, third thing I want to say is this is not a series, of course, on marriage. It's a series on relationships. What does the Bible have to say about how relationships are, are a way in the primary way we live out our faith and our faith grows? But I will say this, for those of you interested in taking this subject a little deeper, this is a resource that I would recommend to you. It's, called, it's Tim Keller's book called The Meaning of Marriage. It's actually built on nine sermons, all from this one text, which we'll read in a minute. So you're certainly not going to get all that from me this morning, but I would highly recommend it. We have some, you can get a copy here this morning uh, in our Belong Center as long as they last. I would recommend it. Not only is it a great resource on this subject of marriage, husbands and wives, there's a chapter in here on sex and marriage. I won't be talking about that this morning. There's a chapter on singleness and marriage, and there's also a chapter written by his wife 
uh, about gender and about the unique roles, uh, female roles in marriage, all very good. I would recommend that resource to you if you'd like to take this further. Now, with that said, let's look at the passage. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33, in a message titled, It Takes Two to Grow. It Takes Two to Grow. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. We, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. First thing I want to say, and this was really what in some ways could be said for the next uh, six weeks, is the gospel radically changes the way that we relate to others, right? There's a whole redefinition. Most of Paul's letters, you'll see it here too. He, he starts off and says, this is how the gospel has changed everything, right? Jesus Christ, who was the Son of God, uh, God the Son, he fulfilled all of the stipulations of the Old Testament, all the things the Bible said, right? All 600 plus, he fulfilled those things in his life and in his death. He typified and brought to completion the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All has been redefined. How we relate to God is completely redefined, right? That's what the gospel tells us. Well, that means that how we relate to others is different also. It's a whole new radical understanding, and he wants to talk about it here, and that's why in this passage, we'll just look at a small part of it, or the part we read, he's going to redefine the, what we call the household colds. He starts with husbands and wives, then he talks about parents and children, and he talks about slaves and masters, and in Colossians, the parallel passage, he talks about relationships in the workplace. Everything is redefined. Now, with that said, in verse 21, where we started, at least the way the NIV has worked it out, and I think most uh, versions do this, they start a new paragraph. Submit to one another out of reverence of Christ, and they do that, I think, because immediately he's going to go with this idea, submit to one another, we're all supposed to submit to each other. It's a new idea, it's part of the redefinition of how we do relationships. And then he's going to give you a specific example with wives submitting to their husbands in verse 22. So he starts the paragraph there, but really, verse 21 goes all the way back to what starts a handful of verses earlier when he's talking about this new life. I didn't read it. Verse 15, be very careful then how you live. It's a whole new way to live. Make, make good decisions. Be wise, making the most of every opportunity. And then he has an imperative. Instead, don't live this way. Don't live the old way. He uses drunkenness, I suppose, as just a summary of the old way. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, the old way of life. 
Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's very important that I mention that because it's the, the, the being to be filled with the Spirit simply is a way to talk about the, how the new life comes about. And then there's five participles that really come out of that. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Very quickly, five things he mentions in all of these are supposed to characterize my life and characterize your life and be exercised in relationships. Speaking to one another, speaking the truth in love. That's the first one. Singing and making songs and music in your heart. There's two and three. There's a sense of joy. Third, or fourth, I'm sorry, giving thanks to God. This is the fourth thing. And then fifth, verse 21, is submission. So what he's saying is this. The Spirit of God is supposed to bring about basically four things, if I'll summarize. How is your life, how is my life, no longer, um, you know, uh, lived out of the old covenant uh, stipulations, but lived out of the living Spirit of God within me. To be filled with the Spirit means to be controlled by the Spirit. And my life is supposed to be characterized essentially by four things. Speaking the truth in love one to another. We talked about it last week. Having a sense of joy and music. Giving gratitude to God. Thanks for what God has done for me. And ultimately, submitting to one another uh, it, it, out of reverence for Christ. All of us are to do these things. They're all mentioned here. But he starts the paragraph here, I think, as I said, because of this way in which he's going to talk about wives and husbands. Now, two things are said here in this passage, getting right into the meat of things about husbands and wives. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, right? And then it says of the husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Both of these very important relational dynamics, right? It's important to say that both of them are commanded to all of the church. I just mentioned verse 21, submit to one another. That's, all, that's for everybody, not just for wives. But in chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, or verse 2, walk in the way of love. He's talking to everybody. Ephesians 5, 2. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Almost the exact same language of what's said in verse 25 and verse 26 is said of all of us. So yes, there's something unique being said about wives submitting to their husband's leadership and husbands loving their wives and leading their wives the way Christ loved and led the church. But it's also said of everyone in the church. First thing, the second thing I will say about these very two big ideas that are at the heart of the marriage relationship as Paul describes it, is that they are both characterized by self-giving, right? They're both characterized by self-giving. It's not natural, right, to, for, to submit to other people. It's not, a, it's not natural not just for wives or for husbands, but for any of us. It's characterized by self-giving. It is an act of the will. It's an act of obedience, just like the husband's leadership in loving his wife, right? Not out of self-interest, but out to, out for her benefit, as Christ loved the church. That, too, is characterized uh, by self-giving. It is an act of the will. In both of those... Why I took the time to talk about verses 17 and following are characterized by being filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? Right? 
So much confusion on this idea. It simply means, and I, if I had time, I could take you to dozens of verses to, ver- to, to validate this. It simply means to be controlled by the Spirit, right? That's why he uses this idea of don't do not be drunk with wine. It's just a summary of a whole way of life. Saying, what motivates your life? What controls you? He's saying, you need to be controlled. I need to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And to be filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of God is not an add-on, right? It's not just something we add on. It's not a second work of grace, as some would say. And the Spirit of God is not for the spiritually elite. It's for all of us. It's the agent of God's work in your life. And what it means to be filled with the Spirit is that you focus your attention on Jesus, you open yourselves up to a continual work of uh, transformation in your life. It's the Spirit of God takes the life of Jesus and the truth about Jesus, and he makes it real to your heart so that you can begin to live more like Jesus in your relationships with others. That is so important, and if you do not get better at this, if I do not get better at this, then everything else the New Testament and these verses will say about marriage, parenting, being a good friend, being a brother or sister in Christ. Everything it says about redemptive relationships is going to be lost on you and lost on me. The gospel radically changes the way that we relate to others. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak the truth in love. May your heart and life be animated by joy. May it be animated by gratitude and also by submission one to another. Second point to the heart of this passage. Marriage is a vehicle for the remaking of your heart. I think that's what he's saying. Marriage is a vehicle, it's not the only one, for the remaking of your heart. Now, any summary of the New Testament, I think if you were to read it carefully, I hope you would agree with me. What you see, Christian growth is this slow, steady process Talk about Christian growth here. Growth in relationships, growth in your relationship with God. It is a slow, steady process of dying to your own self-interests and rising to a kind of life that loves and serves other people. You see this throughout the entire uh, New Testament. This is what Jesus meant, those famous words, right? Unless you want to be my disciple, it's not saying if you want to be a Christian, A lot of Christians out there who aren't necessarily disciples, if you know what I mean. They're not growing actively in a relationship with God. They're not serving God in the way that they're called to do it. He says, listen, if you want to be my disciple, you need to pick up your cross and follow me. In other words, you need to learn to die to your own self-interests, and you need to learn through a love relationship with me how to live your life the way Christ lives his life, loving and serving others instead of serving yourself. This is the summary of the entire growth uh, trajectory in the New Testament, right? Loving and serving others. Now, what you'll also see in this passage and in others is that this idea of dying to your own self-interest and rising to serve and love others, right, is not easy, it is not natural, right? It's not a natural process, and it doesn't just happen over time. Wouldn't that be great, you know? At least for me, I've been a Christian for 30 years. It'd be nice to say, you know, at year five, I'm going to get better. And I just want to hit year seven, I'm going to get better. And by the time I've been married or I've been living as a Christian for 15 or 18 years, I'm going to be at this new height, But we all know that there are many Christians, maybe some of us, 
who have been Christians for decades, and when it comes to dying to our own self-interest, when it comes to not living simply to feed our own desires or being enslaved to our own fears, we haven't changed very much since the day we were saved. Okay? It's not a natural thing. It's not an easy thing. And it doesn't happen easily over time. Right? We need to be open to the work of God that radically changes the way we relate to others. We need to be filled with the Spirit where the work of the gospel continually brings about our own transformation. That's where it starts. Now, let me, on this important passage, give you, I'm looking at the clock here, what uh, the wife of a pastor I know calls a stunt sermon. Now, what's a stunt sermon? A stunt sermon is when you're in a sermon, and within the sermon there's some really challenging and difficult things in here that if you that has the potential to hijack the sermon and you try to go in there and address those things in three or four months and get out, okay? So that's what I'm going to try to do right now as we talk about husbands and wives in this passage of what does it mean for wives to submit to their husbands and what does it mean for husbands to be the head, to be the leader, to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Let me say two things quickly. There are timeless truths here, and there are things that are historically uh, conditioned, like any uh, things in the Scripture, or many things. Let's, ta- let's start with the timeless truths. It's just me giving you my uh, understanding of the Scriptures. Number one, I think the gender differences in the Bible, right, that is that God created men and God created women together in His image, those things go back to creation, and what Paul says here in verse uh, 20, 32, verse 31, he's quoting Genesis 2. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and his father and be united to his wife. What he's saying here, I think, is even, even 2,000 years after Moses uh, wrote the, the book of Genesis, after long after the, the creation of man and woman, Paul is going to affirm that God created men, God created women, and these gender differences, I think, are part of creation. I believe that. Okay. Number two, I believe that men and women, although God created them uniquely uh, and they have gender differences, they are equal before God. Men are not better than women. Women are not better than men. They're equal before God. But they have unique roles, Paul's emphasizing that here, designed by God for the purpose of human community. Third thing I'll say is that this idea of submission, a wife submitting to her husband, and a husband exercising a servant-like leadership, loving his wife, not loving her out of his own self-interest, but as Christ loved the church. I would say these things are similar. They're both about denying self-interest and doing something for the benefit of the other. They're similar, but I would say they're not exactly the same. Okay? But what it isn't saying is that women are less intelligent than men. I don't think you'll see that anywhere in Scripture. I do not believe that. Nor do I think that men are better, more natural leaders than women. I don't think the Bible says that either. What I think it does say is both are acts of obedience that drives those partners to their knees. Right? Now, how does this work out practically, Pastor? Well, let's take a dummy issue but I think you can put in some more sophisticated issues of where there might be a differences of an opinion and how does a man or a husband exercise his leadership? How does a wife exercise her? Let's say you're, it's, you, you know, it's the simple old thing of what are we having for dinner tonight, okay? And let's say you just decide this is a, a decision and it's, uh, you know, the husband says, well, listen, I want a steak. I think we should go grab steak. 
And his wife said, well, that doesn't sound bad, but I'd prefer sushi. And so you're at, a, you're at, a, you're at an impasse. And the husband says, well, you know, I, uh, I appreciate that. I like sushi. But in Ephesians 5.22, <laughs> it says, wives, submit to your husbands. So I guess it's going to be steak. Well, the wife could say, well, that's true. But in Ephesians 5.25, it says that you're supposed to die for me. So I guess it's either the graveyard or sushi, okay? <laughs> Point simply is, guys, neither one of these things is natural. Neither one of these things is, is these are commands. They're acts of obedience. They're not reflective, as far as I can tell, about intelligence of a man or a woman or the natural abilities of a man or, or, or a woman. They're acts of obedience where two people come together and exercise saying no to themselves. Even Christ did not please himself, uh, Romans 15. He did not came to him not to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. And that's what we're supposed to do for each other. Now, on the historical context, there are some things unique here. Let me say this. This would be true of any passage in Scripture, but especially this one. If you, to, to really get an appreciation of what's going on, or you need to know something about what it means to be a woman in the time of Jesus. Now, you probably know, some of you would know this, I think the statistic is right. Even today, in 2017, women, on average, in this enlightened country, make about 80 cents to the dollar on men, right? Now, I'm sure some of you have a point of view about that, and we've made some progress, but we're apparently not there yet. But let me tell you something. 80 cents on the dollar in Jesus' day would be absolutely not even thought about. It wouldn't even be an aspiration if you asked a woman in Jesus' day. In this day, when this book was written, women, the only jobs women had were either a domestic servant of some kind or a prostitute. Women could not vote. Women couldn't own property. They couldn't sign a legal contract. It was even said, even in the New Testament, by the disciples that it was inappropriate for men to even speak to women in public, right? Can you imagine? So some people look at the New Testament, even at this passage, and I would say they're gravely wrong and say the Apostle Paul Forget Jesus. Jesus gets, a, gets sort of a pass on this. The Apostle Paul is anti-women. He's a misogynist, which is a big word for being anti-women. And, and uh, we don't like what he has to say, but I would say this to you. And we need to be better students of the Scriptures. I would say that the Apostle Paul did more for the liberation of women than anybody else in the course of history. Let me give you three very quick examples if you're note-taking here. Again, you got to understand the context of what it meant to be a woman in the days of Jesus. Galatians 3.28, just one verse. The Apostle Paul says this, because everything's changed, it's a whole new ball game because of what Jesus has done, how we relate to God is differently, how we relate to others is differently, how we relate to the world is differently. It's all new. He says, listen, there is no more Jew and Gentile. Now, what was Paul saying? He was saying, there's no more, you can't be Jewish, ethnically Jewish anymore. You can't be ethnically Greek anymore. No, that's not what he's saying. He didn't, he didn't erase uh, Judaism. He said, when it comes to the biases and the distinctions that have divided people, the prejudice, there is no Jew and Gentile. All are equal in God's sight. He says, there is no more slave or free. Now, did he say that in a sense that there's no such thing as slavery anymore? Eventually that happened in many. As, as, the, as the progressive understanding of God's truth worked its way out in, in, in culture in many areas, not all over the world. But he's saying, listen, when it comes to God, he, all people are equal in God's sight. 
those distinctions, those biases that are very uh, burned into the culture, there's no more slave or free. And then he goes on to say, there is no more male and female. Now, Paul wasn't wiping away the gender distinctions in Galatians 3.20. He's not saying that everyone's unisex. That's not what he was saying. He was saying when it comes to the biases and the prejudices and the hardcore um, uh, differential uh, uh, things that happen that, that put people at different places, those things are done away in Jesus Christ, or they should be. That was radical. In 1 Corinthians 7, some people say the New Testament you know, is anti-sex and it's only for procreation. I don't know if that's the kind of church you grew up in. But let me tell you something. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 said something that I promise you. It might wash over your eyes. It might wash over my eyes. But if you were in the sermon when he gave that Corinthians, it would have absolutely blown you away. You would have fallen off your chair. He says, let me tell you, sex is great. God created it. It's for everybody. It's not just for procreation. God created it for enjoyment. And then he goes on to say this. Now imagine you were in this sermon. He says, now, the wife's, the woman's body, because they have to redefine everything, it's the New Testament. The woman's body does not belong to her, it belongs to her husband. Now, can you imagine, David, can you all the guys in the, in the, in the congregation going, woohoo, that woman's body only belongs to her, or to her husband. She has no authority, it's under his authority. Right? But then in the rest of the verses, and the husband's body does not belong to him, but it's, it's under his wife's authority. Right, ladies? Okay. Now let me tell you something. That one statement was absolutely radical in the first century. Absolutely radical. First Titus, or Titus chapter 2, I shouldn't say, Titus 2, 5 says this. Women, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Same here. Now watch this so that the word of God will not be maligned. Now, what is it? why would he say that? The reason he says that, same passage here, that the word of God will not be maligned was because the liberation of not just women, really of all people, slaves, you men too, that what Christianity did to relationships in the New Testament was so radical, but even more radical for women who were subjugated worse in the first century than than, uh, even slaves in some cases, or certainly men. It was so radical that non-Christians were looking at how women were living their lives, and they were offended. They thought, this is wheels off kind of a, a thing. And Paul says, listen... We got to sort of take this a step at a time. Ladies, women, be subjective to your husband so that the word of God will not be aligned because people are so blown away, so, so they're, they're so taken aback by this liberation that women have been experiencing that we need to sort of, you know, take a step back and, 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 and make sure that the word of God is not a, a, a maligned, that people don't misunderstand what the church is really all about. Out of the stunned sermon, how did I do? Okay, good. <laughs> This is the time we could ask questions, but I don't think we take questions on sermons, so we'll just move on. Okay. (laughs) Number one, the gospel realigns all relationships, okay? The way we relate to it. That's what this whole series is about. Marriage is a vehicle for the remaking of your heart. Think of what he says in here. This is unbelievable. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now watch this. And gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing of water through the word. That's unbelievable. What Paul is saying is this. When he says, this is a mystery, a profound mystery, he's not saying that marriage or relationships are hard. That's the mystery, 
right? I think anybody here that's, whether you're married or you just have good friendships or you're a parent or, you know, you, no one needs to be told, it's not a mystery that relationships are difficult. That's not what he's saying. He's saying what the mystery is, is that marriage, the relationships really, but what he says of submission and leadership, he's going to say of all people, right? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's saying, listen, it's supposed to work on the same principles that God's love to us works on. It's about sacrificial love. As Christ's love changes us, our love ought to change each other. It's not only edifying. I'm not only edifying when I choose to not serve my own self-interest, but to serve the interests of others, whether that's my spouse or my friend or my son or my parent. Submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. I'm not only edifying them, I'm participating in their spiritual sanctification and purification. That's unbelievable. That's the mystery. Saying, listen, when he said what he said... Uh, quoting Genesis 2, in one way, Paul's saying it means something even more for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. It not only means you're starting a new family, right? But you're doing something more than that. As a Christian, the Spirit of God that was within you, because of the love that's in you, because of the transformation that's happening in you, be filled with the Spirit. Speak the truth in love. Be filled with joy. Give gratitude and submit to one another. You are becoming an agent in the spiritual development of another person. That's what we're talking about. Speak the truth in love, and in every respect, we become mature. Let me just read it quickly. Uh, a, a word from this book on the subject. The reason that marriage is so painful and yet wonderful is because it is a reflection of the gospel, which is painful and wonderful all at once. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is the only kind of relationship that will really transform us. Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness, it gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. The hard times of marriage drive us to experience more of this transforming love of God, but a good marriage will also be a place where we experience more of this kind of transforming love at the human level. Marriage is a vehicle for the remaking of your heart. Finally, the purpose of marriage is new creation. Right? That's what he's saying. Remember? You know, uh, old things pass away, all things become new. Right? We are a new creation. What he's saying is it begins in your relationship with God. Be filled with the Spirit. Right? It's the Spirit of God that takes the person of Jesus and the truth about Jesus and he makes it real to your heart and real to my heart. This is an ongoing work of transformation. And then he sends me into the world to speak the truth in love, to exercise the joy that only God can give, to exercise a gratitude. It's all about what God is doing in me. It's about worship 
and then I submit to one another. I choose to put others ahead of myself. I choose to say no to my own self-interests because God has satisfied my deepest needs. And I say to my wife, I say to my husband, I say to my kid, I say to my parent, I say to the closest people in my life, how can I serve you? And in serving you, I not only bring about edification, I bring about the love of Christ, I bring about transformation, right? The purpose of marriage, he's saying, is a new creation. It's a new vision of growth that is rooted, is rooted in a relationship with Jesus, but it's cultivated by radical truthfulness, right? Radical truthfulness and an unconditional love for others. This is how we grow. Let me just close this message. I asked a bunch of people. I wish I had time to read them all. Great, uh, some couples who I just asked to answer some questions. How has your marriage helped you grow spiritually? Let me just read a few of them. We'll be done. Because my husband and I are very different, we certainly have had our challenges. This couple's been married 30 years, especially when it has come to our children and their activities. Ultimately, though, since we are both believers and see the greater purpose in our mission, right? marriage is a mission, submitting to one another and loving one another as Christ loves the church that has held us together now for 30 years. We certainly do laugh a lot. This uh, couple, uh, married, I'd say, uh, in that ballpark. How has your marriage helped you grow spiritually? Multiple ways. One is that my marriage relationship shows me the importance of communion with God. If we are not communicating well in our marriage, all areas of our intimacy suffer. Again, when we are taking time to communicate and to listen, our joys, fears, goals, needs, our connection deepens. Relationship gets sweeter and we trust each other. The same is true with God. I can't expect to hear God, trust Him, know Him without spending time in communion with Him. The deeper we communicate, the more I trust my husband, the deeper I communicate with God, the more I trust him and willingly submit to the hard stuff that comes my way. This couple, only have been married, um, I'm married 10 years maybe. This guy says, marriage has taught me how to love, which has in turn showed me how to love in my other relationships. My spiritual growth is directly related to my view of love towards God, towards myself, and in my relationships. The gospel radically changes the way we relate to each other. Marriage is a vehicle for the remaking of your heart, my heart, our hearts. In the purpose of marriage is new creation. Stand with me and let's pray. Two things let me say before I send you out. One is you can get a copy of this if you're interested in our Welcome set Belong Center while they're here. Second is, um, if you were here last week, uh, Chris uh, and Christina Knights were up here. They're leaders in the Married Life class, and they mentioned an event this Friday night, um, Fight for Us. It's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a basically a couple's event, dinner. There will be some, some brief uh, teaching, but uh, a lot of fellowship and fun. Child care is provided. Um, I know there's only... Um, a handful of slots left, I was told, because uh, it's limited because it's dinner. But if you're interested, great way to meet some people, have some fellowship with some other couples uh, in the church.